cul-de-sac contemplating murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Still clean record hope got Good day and welcome to another episode of Culper's Canteen Cup, episode 50. Big thanks to Carlton Zeus, www.carltonzeus.com, or hit him up on Apple Music. Thanks for the intro. Uh, you know, pretty shocking over the week here because I did not realize that we have so many listeners in India. So I think we have, and Luke can correct me here, I think we have like 85% of our listeners, 83% of our listeners would have you from from the U.S. But take a guess. We're, we, we have... Six percent of our listeners come from India. That's pretty daggum incredible. So for our, our listeners that are out there, uh, we've already had at least five or ten of them hit hit us up on Facebook. Uh, we dig the interaction. You know, definitely like the page. Uh, check out our YouTube, and I think we're now on Ghana, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and, and if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, I think it's one of the largest podca- podcast platforms uh, as well as music, kind of like their Spotify or whatever out there. So we definitely thank you folks uh, for listening out there. I, you know, I think Josh might have done a little bit of research or maybe Luke did, but you know, it's definitely one part of the world that uh, I am not overly educated in as far as all the the geopolitical issues and this and that. It's just a little far stretch for me, and uh, you know, unlike Luke, I'm not so much of a of a globalist. But uh, I guess we'll jump right into it. The uh, let's start with the CDC guidance, man. So now we're to officially two masks, right? So then <laughs> if you're wearing two masks, well, why not three? And, yeah, right. I mean, it just makes sense. If, if it's three, why not four? If it's four, why not five? And, and you go on forever. But then here's what's confusing. They come out and say, well, okay, if you've been vaccinated and you come into contact with somebody who has COVID, you no longer need to quarantine. So, okay. So if I've already got, you know, I've already had the Rona, Luke's already had the Rona, uh, you know, Josh has had syphilis. So with that, and then you had the vaccine, why are we wearing masks? Well, the excuse the CDC has been giving, and, and Fauci said this right off the bat was, well, we don't know if you can still spread it. So I'm glad you're making me wear something. I'm glad the government is mandating that I wear something because you don't know uh, that it can be spread. But apparently you do know enough that if you've been vaccinated, you come into contact with somebody that you don't have to self-quarantine because that would be the issue, right? Is that you would continue to spread it. And I think my, my, my bigger point here with all of this stuff is, and I'll bring it up front, we'll say Trump uh, up front, maybe it's just not as easy as what it seems because that seems to be what's going on in the Biden administration. You know, it's all these armchair quarterbacks. Oh, you know, CDC needs to do this and the White House needs to do this and everybody had all these great ideas. And and I'll be the first to admit, uh, the guidance from the CDC uh, was not the best, been all over the place. Fauci has been from extreme left to extreme right. We can go back just historically and pull up the last year. Uh, the guy is all over the place. CDC has been all over the place. Um, and, and I get it. There's nothing hard and fast. I mean, obviously the, uh, you know, human nature, that's the dynamic, right? That's, that's what, that's the variable. That's what changes. And it kind of depends on, on who you are and what your situation is. But I think what you saw this week, especially with the school, uh, unions and the openings and the vaccinations, and it's like, Hey, it's not as easy to get, uh, you know, get this message as clear and as straight as, as what you want. Uh, as you know, as at least as what they, uh, campaigned on during, uh, during the election. And then, it, you know, you go back to, to Jen Psaki, which today was classic because they did the White House press briefing first. Then they did the CDC briefing and their guidance after the press briefing so you don't have to answer any questions. And then you do it on a Friday afternoon, right, before a long weekend. So guess what's going to happen with this thing? 
it's totally going to get washed out. So, you know, take that, you know, for what it is. But Luke, what's the, uh, I guess the bigger question is here, like, when did the CDC become the sole authority on, on everyday living? I mean, I get it. They're a function of the government, and they have a role, right? Uh, just like we've talked about, you know, several other issues. It's, hey, there's an economic piece to it. There's a health piece to it. There's a general welfare security piece to it. Uh, there's, there's a mental health piece to it. And generally, what you expect your executives and the federal government do and, and the state and the local levels to take all those pieces, put it together, and, and you know, the, plot the best way forward. But it seems like, you know, ever since last year, and it started with the Trump administration, like, number one, I would have never put Fauci on TV, ever. Never would have let that dude, uh, maybe have him answer a couple of questions or whatever, but he is never going to put, uh, you know, never going to have like a, an interview just by himself or, or go out there on a press briefing by himself. That's never going to happen. But Luke, when, you know, when did the CDC start becoming the, the sole authority on, on how we live our everyday lives? Oh, when people got scared, so scared. Um, and then there's, you know, there's, there's the fallback, you know, it's CDC, FBI, CIA, you say those, you know, those acronyms and it immediately, <laughs> most people, most sheep think competence and, you know, can do and all this stuff. And I, while Roger was talking, uh, he asked the question, then he went on talking. I was trying to remember, there's an earlier podcast, those, those of you may have a better memory than me. <laughs> There's an earlier podcast where I described a an effect uh, that happens in people's brains, and it was early on in the in the podcast series where, you know, a newspaper will make a mistake. Uh, they'll say something about uh, something you're an expert in, like Josh is an expert on being angry. So the newspaper will write a story about being angry, and Josh is like, "Well, I know for a fact that they're they're flawed in this." This article is BS, you know, because and I will say, well, we won't say being angry. We'll say uh, about cars, like a mechanic. So a mechanic's reading that, and the newspaper says something. Just the mechanic knows is not right. All cars use carburetors now. The mechanic's like, no, that's not right. But the mechanic will turn the page of the same newspaper, read another article, see something, be like, oh, that's interesting. That that must be a hundred percent correct. It's an effect that happens in the brain where it's like. The newspaper just lost credibility. So shouldn't the whole thing lose credibility? No, no, no. I'll let that one go. And like with the CDC, for instance, you remember it was March 2nd. I looked up this article today. Uh, March 2nd, uh, 2020, the CDC came out and uh, old Dr. Fauci came out too and said, you shouldn't wear a mask. You absolutely should not wear a mask. Right. And I, I made a joke on on some uh, local newspaper page. And I was like, I've been in a coma since uh, 2 March 2020 when Fauci told us not to wear masks. I woke up this morning, you know, and I was commenting on a news article where he now he's saying wear two. I woke up this morning and imagine my confusion. And I, I linked to the article on, on 2 March 2020. So it's like, you know, and we all know why the CDC did that. They did that so that they're well two reasons. They did that, uh, one, so there wouldn't be a shortage, and two, like Roger said, they just didn't know. I mean, there was a lot of stuff we still don't know about this virus. and um, But yet we give them credibility now when they say to wear two. I mean, well, wait, I remember when they said don't wear any because there was a mask so- shortage. Is there a mask surplus now? And like some big mask maker saying, hey, see if we can move more masks. Because we don't we don't want these things in a in a you know 
in a giant warehouse just collecting dust. I mean, how is the mind not supposed to go there? I mean, I, I, man, the the two masks thing is just that. that well, takes and, and the at cake. that same time, it really, really does. At that same time, remember that was the same time during that that time period where it was right before then, where you had the Chinese Lunar New Year, and remember Dr. Barbo came out from New York, which I, I think she actually quit and said, uh-huh. "Nope, you need to get out in the streets. You need to party like rock stars." And oh yeah, I do believe that even Nancy Pelosi came out right and said the same thing. Like, you need to be down yeah. in Chinatown. You know, absolutely. You know, what? like I said, there's just so much we still don't know. Like, the vaccine, you know, uh, Josh's best friend, uh, Bonnie, called me out the other day and said, I remember when you said there was never going to be a vaccine. And I was like, well, okay, all right, I'll give you that. But I knew there wouldn't be a vaccine the same as, like, the regular flu vaccine that we get. I, and that's what I, I was intending you know, the mRNA vaccine that is coming out now is the first one of its kind. It's never been done before. So it's like, okay, all right. I should have maybe qualified that. And in the future, I'll think about those things. But the vaccine itself just seems so, I mean, it seemed, I'm sure it'll be uh, talked about the other way now, but it seems so fragile. And, you know, it's got to be kept at negative 77. It's only good for X amount of days. And all this after it's been uh, after the seal's been broken, it just seems very um, seems very fragile. Seems like there's a lot we don't know about that too. Now I'm going to get it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not an anti-vaxxer or anything. <laughs> I'll get it. After being in the military, I've had so much other stuff pumped in my body. I just I'm I'm not worried about this thing at all. But back to COVID, you know, and I'll kick it over to Josh for his thoughts on CDC and COVID. And we're still talking about it, man. It's going to be a year, and we're still talking about this stuff. But in, in the limited amount of research I've done, and you know, I, I'm not by any means uh, an expert on anything medical, but I don't know that there's ever been a SARS or influenza virus that affects a person neurologically. And as far as I can tell, the loss of taste and smell, that's a neurological problem. It's a neurological problem. Yeah, that happens in the brain. When you sniff something, your nose isn't actually sniff. Well, your nose is sniffing it, but your brain is telling you what those things are. Same thing with taste. That all happens in the brain. And I don't know if there has been a SARS or influenza that that has done that, affected the body, you know, neurologically to that extent. And I mean, I know I know we're not going to spend the whole episode on this, but you know, now we're back to saying that it came from bats. After the big investigation, no way it came from the Wuhan lab. And I'd really like to delve into this with you guys. I mean, I was asking uh, a friend of mine yesterday, I was like, you know, who would it benefit? Who would it benefit if incontrovertible 9-11 type proof came out that this virus leaked from the Wuhan lab? Not on purpose, not even on purpose, just accidentally leaked. Who would that benefit? It's like, it's a fact. This is what happened. I, I say no one would benefit from that other than the common man knowing the truth. So yeah, a lot of people would, but the powers that be, no one would benefit from that. What do you think, Josh? No, nobody would benefit knowing that it came, you know, if it was confirmed to come from uh, the Wuhan lab. As for the CDC guidance, are two, two masks are better than one. Okay. I, again, like right said, why not 10? Why not 100? I mean, I think... Five seat belts are probably better than one, right? 
<laughs> you know those water wings you wore as a kid when you got in the pool before you really learned how to swim? I mean, probably 20 of those weren't better than two. I got, I, you know, it's just kind of, why, why two? What up more? Um, I tell you what does not work. Well, actually, it does work if you want to, uh, if you want to hold your hair in place is Gorilla Glue. That works. <laughs> Did you guys see the story? The oh, my Lord. Glue? All right. So for those of you who have been, you know, are living in a cave in Tora Bora uh, for the last couple of weeks. So this girl from Louisiana ran out of uh, a product for her hair. And so she decided that she was going to use Gorilla Glue to uh, to hold her hair in place. Uh, hey, dude, that's that's an industrial strength adhesive. I don't. And so now, of course, it took a month. Um, a doctor, a plastic surgeon or somebody out in uh, California concocted a, uh, a potion to, you know, to, to get it out of her hair. So she's got it out of her hair now. But for like a month, she basically was running around with a with a Mitch helmet on her head that, you know, was her hair. Um, and th- so she is now uh, talking about on social media, you know, she wants to sue Gorilla Glue. She wants to sue Gorilla Glue, much like the lady, you know, that, that lady from McDonald's who sued because she got hot coffee. You know, she, she poured hot coffee on herself and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it was hot. It was like, well, you ordered hot coffee. What, what, do, you th- what do you think it's going to be? You know, I mean, I, I pour coffee on myself from uh, from a place, you know, last year, you know, year before something like that. And it wasn't I'm going to sue you. It was God, I'm stupid. Why did I do that? I'm not paying attention. So anyway. But yeah, so she wants to sue Gorilla Glue because it did not say do not put on your hair. I, you know, <laughs> some things I don't know, you know, whatever. Uh, hey, folks, if you're out there listening, don't spray industrial strength adhesive into your hair when you run out of hairspray. Uh, take your ass to the store and get some hairspray. Uh, so it, it's also important to point out uh, there was an article came out. I want to say it was either from it was from the Post or the Times, you know, the old gray lady. Somebody put it out that this incident, this incident of putting Gorilla Glue in your hair, it's not the it's not the young lady's fault. It is the fault of white America not understanding how people of color struggle with the selection of products, the lack of product, oh, the, lack Jesus. Of, the lack of variety of products to uh, to put in your hair. So anyway, I thought uh, uh, that's, <laughs> that's what I got to say on that. Uh, so she know, did but, that by accident? I mean, like I, I remember hearing the hair thing and she got it removed. I mean, she, did, she did that on purpose or by accident? From what I read, she did it on purpose. Like she knew, like okay, I don't think this is hairspray, but it's good. You know, it's good. It's it's, it's going to function the same way, right? It's gonna it's gonna hold my hair in place, right? So that's what I've read. It, that's what I've read off of CNN. I don't did know. hold her hair in place. Oh yeah, it did, and it <laughs> she did. was right about that for a month. For a month, it, you know, it's like putting uh, what's the <laughs> what's the chocolate that hardens when you put it on uh, ice cream. <laughs> it was oh, basically yeah. like that. It was a shell, hard shell, or something like that. Yeah, it's like basically you run around with a with, with a ballistic helmet on your head. You know, it's uh, any and, and now other people are doing it because there's a guy in Louisiana. This guy Martin, I guess he's done other challenges like this. 
Lynn Martin, decided that I think he was like, oh, I want to spray this on my lip and put a solo cup to it because I've done this before and it doesn't work. And the next thing you know, it's like, uh, uh, it's like that movie or Christmas story, right? Where he puts the tongue up on the, on the pole. Oh like, yeah. Ah, yeah. Ah, ah. Dude, you know what? It's the Tide Pod challenge, is what it is. You know, it's like, oh, you know, let's see. I dare you to eat a eat a Tide Pod, and then all of a sudden, it was you know we have to put warnings on there. You remember when? You remember when the old car manuals, like the old car manuals, where you so Luke brought up you know carbureted cars. You know the manuals used to teach you, like, all right, these are your valves. Here's how to set the timing on your valves, like that. Like that was just your car manual. That was your you know. In the glove box, or you got one of the Edmonds car manuals that told you everything about the uh, car. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Dude, now we have, like, you know, one piece of paper. It's like, do not eat dish detergent. Do not put Gorilla Glue in your hair. Never mind. Here's how you change your spark plugs. Do not drink 10W40. It's, <laughs> it's where we're at as a society. It's insane. It's, it's like my Traeger. It's like my Traeger pellets. I have these knockoff Traeger pellets, right? And uh, it actually says on the back of the bag, it's like, hey, this product's been known to the state of California to cause fires. Mike, why well, I hope so, because that's why I fucking bought it. Was to, <laughs> you know, I was going to have issues if it, if it didn't catch on fire. But now I know the state of California has come out and said it's going to catch on fire. Now I know it's a good product. It's crazy. It's like in the MRE, the MRE heater. You, you had the picture oh, of the guys Lord. like, you know, do not eat. It's like, don't eat the MRE heater. <laughs> there's a reason there's a reason that's on there <laughs> it's crazy man it's crazy don't eat the mre heaters don't uh don't eat tide pods and don't put gorilla glue in your hair kids i don't other than that man i don't, I don't know what else to tell you sometimes we just got to take the training wheels off and, and just let it be what it's going to be people are going to get skin up or you just gorilla glue the mask to your face and then you're good forever there you go dude mine's blown all right, that's it. That wraps up this episode. Uh, you got to you, you gotta, you gotta get on that. <laughs> CDC guidance. CDC guidance. Gorilla glue the mask to your face. Two of them. That is absolutely hilarious. Dude, so I did not know. So I know you got us on to uh, the the platform in uh, in India. And I remember you saying something about it, but I, I can't believe that, that 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 big of a percentage of our listeners are, are in India. It's actually twice the amount of listeners that we have in Slovenia. Yeah, the man Slovenia needs to step it up. Maybe so maybe when I said that they're like Austrians and Balkans combined they uh, might have lost a few <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but they know I'm right. I mean, come on. Oh come man. On. At least they're not at least they're not Austrian and Italian. Oof. Gosh, can you imagine that? Big Ooh, god. Big oof. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um no man, yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize there were there were that many. Uh, so you know, we were talking about China and whether it came out of the Wuhan lab or not. One thing I did want to bring up, I wanted to bring up the Uyghurs and, and you know, kind of what's going on with them. We touched on it a little bit in the last episode. So I have a lot to say. I took a lot of notes. Um, I've got a lot of a lot of data to uh, to present. 
so I don't know. Honestly, like I don't know how we're going to break this down because I don't want to talk for the next 20 minutes. Um, but I don't want to throw it over to y'all because y'all probably don't have shit to say about it. Uh, <laughs> but, well, then this no, is I the Josh. Do. I know you do. This is the Josh segment of uh, Culper's Canteen Cup. <laughs> no, I know you guys got stuff to say about it. Uh, but I'm just going to I'm going to jump in. I'll give you a little bit of background kind of on, you know, who are, who are the Uyghurs, where, you know, where are they located at? And then we'll kick it around and uh, and go from there, man. Because like I said, I pulled I pulled down a, uh, a lot of data. So the other day, Joe Biden came out and he said that he talked to, uh, you know, Xi Jinping for like two hours on the phone. And he came out and he was like, we got to get after China or, or, quote, they're going to eat our lunch. He didn't say anything about the, the genocide that's going on in uh you know, in China against the Uyghurs. He didn't say anything else besides, yeah, I talked to Xi Jinping for, you know, two hours and we got to get after it because China, you know, it's going to eat our lunch. Hey, man, they, they've already eaten our lunch. That happened a very long time ago. Um, and so I got to thinking about the Uyghurs. And, you know, obviously a lot of things, a lot of things come to mind on that, but so I sat down, I pulled a bunch of info up, you know, from the Post, the New York Times, BBC, United Nations. Uh, there's some nonprofits out there that, you know, that are putting information out. And uh, so, you know, for those of you who may not be familiar, so in the northwest corner of China, it's in the Xinjiang province, right? So there's about 12 million uh, Uyghurs. Uyghurs are, you know, predominantly Muslims and uh if you think about the the geograph, you know the the region, you've you know that Xinjiang province, it, it borders Mongolia. Uh, I want to say it borders Kazakhstan, up there, India, and a few places. So they're not right. So they're they're Chinese because they're they're from China, but they're really not. They they really are more of your your Asian steppe people. Um, you know, when you think about kind of, you know, their, their predominant physical features and, and language there, they speak, uh, uh, a dialect, uh, no, it's close to Turkish. Um, and, and they're really culturally and ethnically aligned more closer to, to the central Asian, uh, nations there, there on the Asian step. So, you know, there's probably about 12, they, they estimate there's like 12 million Uyghurs. There's probably less now that China's, uh, China's killing them off. Um, they call their, they, you know, they don't, uh, it's kind of like Kosovo, you know, you have Eurosovach and Farazai, but so they call, they don't call Xinjiang province, Xinjiang, they call it East Turkestan. Um, a lot of desert region up there, not, you know, there, but there's a lot of natural resources. So the, you know, the ancient Silk Road goes through, goes through the area, you know, that connected Asia with Europe. Um, you know, it's where, where Genghis Khan rolled through, where Alexander the Great rolled through, um, a lot of oil, natural gas. And, uh, that's kind of the, you know, that really kind of sums up the, the region there. Um, magic show. That's it. That's a good magic show. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the area. Um, the Uyghurs, they're not from the, you know, the, most of your Chinese folks are, are Han. Uh, the Uyghurs are not, they, again, they, they more closely identify with Mongolians and, and Turks from the, from the stands. So 
I'll throw it over to uh, throw it over to Luke. Luke can uh, go in, but I'm gonna jump into uh, after him. You know, right? We'll we'll keep going going into this because some of the information, man, it was absolutely shocking, appalling. It's it, it's it's completely insane. It, it is, and uh, being the globalist that I am, uh, I can I can talk for for days on how this problem is more important than anything going on in the U.S. And Roger always likes that. I'm joking. But, you know, what's interesting, uh, as Josh said, he kind of gave you the history. And um, I'll kind of boil it down. Probably won't be what Josh uh, wants me to say. He's probably uh, got a better way of saying it. But basically, there's an ethnic and religious minority in China, as Josh said. And the Uyghurs have been around much longer than Islam. Uh, much longer. Uh, they're Turkmen in origin, like, like Josh said, and all this stuff. Well, uh, you know, I'll say it. Uh, Chinese um, are known are known, I guess, for people who have spent time in China who are non-Chinese to be extremely racist and extremely, I wouldn't say xenophobic, but uh, very superior when it comes to their attitude about their own race. And they they recognize that the Uyghurs are not truly Chinese. Uh, also, they're Muslim, uh, which is a problem for China. Uh, any any religion really is going to be a problem for any communist regime. So the Uyghurs are have historically been persecuted. They've always stayed in that province over um, over to the west, and uh, but now it's the persecution has taken on a whole new tone. Uh, the Chinese have basically it's not even basically the Chinese have put uh, 1.5 to anywhere from 1.5 to 3 million of them in literal like concentration camps and. You know, you, you kind of need to do some disambiguation with that term concentration camp because our minds always go back to uh, extermination camps uh, of World War II. And yes, those were concentration camps, but the word concentration means you're concentrating a bunch of people into one area so that you can have control over them. It's basically a prison. So a concentration camp, uh, you almost call a refugee camp a concentration camp. But the Chinese are concentrating them all into one area, and there's some really unspeakable stuff going on there. I mean, not unspeakable. We're going to speak about it right here. Uh, there's instances of rape. There's instances of uh, forced sterilization, uh, forced abortions, uh, you know, very strict family policies, very strict religious uh, policies. Uh, they have to report every time they go to the mosque, so on and so forth. Now, Josh... Bring, always brings up a good point on uh, on Facebook, and I'm sure he'll touch on this again, so I won't steal his thunder too much. But this reminds me of like the Free Tibet campaign uh, from I don't know maybe the late '90s or late late '80s, early into the '90s. Uh, the Brad Pitt movie about Tibet, all this stuff, uh, the Dalai Lama, and that that got worldwide attention, and everybody knew Free Tibet. You'd see posters of it and all this stuff. Uh, now we live in a different world because you don't see anything about this. Uh, there's no posters. There's no movement. Uh, you got LeBron James saying that, you know, so-and-so should mind their own business and forget about China. You got, you know, Mark Cuban turning a blind eye to it. Uh, our own government's turning a blind eye to it because, you know, China's laid down the law and says, hey, you know, you want to call us out on this, you're going to suffer the consequences. And those are going to be economic in nature. Uh we're going to build some more islands out in the South Pacific. You know, that's fascinating to me that we're sitting here ignoring this happen. And I just wonder how far it could go before, you know, they're called out on it. And I'll say, 
they could pretty much do whatever they wanted right now. Because going to war with China, again, doesn't benefit anyone. So we're not willing to just stand up and do the right thing because, you know, our economy might stagnate and it upset the world economy. Now, one thing I'll touch on this and then kick it to Roger. One thing that Josh points out and I find fascinating as well is that there's no jihad. There's no Islamic jihad. Maybe there is. Maybe there's been a fatwa or something, but there's no jihad about the, you know, about the, what's happening to the Uyghurs. And those people, make no mistake, are Muslim. But I will say this, after, after having spent some time with Uyghurs and Arabs and Persians, is uh, they're pretty insular as well. So although they are Islamic, uh, they're like, well, they're Islamic, but I don't know if we're ready to, to start a jihad over this, you know? Um, almost like, uh, well, not, you know, I don't know. They, they stick their necks out for the Muslims in, uh, Georgia or not in Georgia, but in the North Caucasus. So why not stick them out for Uyghurs? You're obviously either afraid of China, which I think that's it. You know, China won't stand for that stuff, man. And I don't think they'd have much of a shot, but I do think that's interesting. There's no jihad. Um, I know Roger, you say you don't track it, but I know you do. What do you think? It's not that I, I don't track it. Uh, this one, this one in particular, because I remember it was actually, I think when I retired um, back in 2015, uh, is when it first kind of made its way into the mainstream media. And I, you know, I think the the biggest thing is just the lack of coverage. And and you hit it on the head. I mean, one, China's done a fantastic job as far as their PR campaign goes. Um, you know, when you look at the economic ties, when you look at uh, the ties to the NBA, and, and at the end of the day, you're a lobbyist. I mean, where do, they, where do these folks get a lot of their money from, right? They're going to get their money from big money donors, big corporations, big businesses. And I'm not opposed to a lot of that stuff, but I'm saying you have to look at the backside. When you look at the NBA, that's worth God knows how many billions of dollars. And you look at the you know 1.5 billion Chinese or however many hell there are over there and looking at expanding to that market because the U.S. market is saturated. Um, and then it, you know, it also becomes a self-licking ice cream cone is we've obviously had issues with, you know, just recently with Mark Cuban and the playing of the national anthem and, you know, uh, NBA ratings, I think are actually up this year. But when you look, I think across the board with sports, uh, you've seen a pretty significant decline. I think the Super Bowl, uh, which I hear just happened, uh, last week or whatever, uh, had like, uh, the lowest ratings since like the 1960s or something like 69 or something like that or whatever. So as you look at that, these companies, and especially in the media sports market, they're looking for the next big thing, right? Uh, where else do you go? Because guess who doesn't give a shit if they don't play the U.S. national anthem? The Chinese. They could really care less. So and then you obviously look at a lot of products that are made over there and, and this and that. And it kind of goes, you know, this touches so many different subjects because it's, it's also one of, when you talk about like a true free market system, this is one of the things where, and I think Trump was on the right track. You can beat up China pretty bad economically. Uh, the fear is that things become more expensive and loss of jobs and loss of money and economic downturn, this and that. If you truly have a free market system, what would happen is the, the U.S. companies right, would be flexible and would start to pick up that slack. Uh, but when you start instituting things like minimum wage, uh, when you when you when you come up with these, you know, these, you know, just these artificial baselines for anything. And, and I'm not opposed to minimum wage to a certain extent. Right. But this again, it goes back to, well, fifteen dollars an hour. Why not twenty? Why not twenty five? Why not thirty? What you're doing is you're taking away from. Uh, the flexibility or taking the flexibility away from the American business person to be able to adapt their business to pick up that slack. And that's something that I think that that Trump was on the right track with. And unfortunately, it looks like we're going back away from that. Uh, when you talk about 
the Uyghurs specifically, here's what's really ironic on this thing. When you look at the, and, and, and I'm actually pretty impressed, Luke, because you get, you hit a couple things on the head that I had jot down, that I jotted down that was, uh, you know, it gets passed over, but to me it's, it's very important. One is the religious aspect of it. Okay, when you look at the enemy of communism, it's religion, right? Religion is the enemy of communism. They cannot coexist. Um, when you look all the way back to Marx and Lenin and Khrushchev, they were all atheists. And, and Marx, you know, at length, went to explain why uh, you know, he doesn't believe in religion and why religion doesn't play a role in a communist form of government. So off the bat, when you look at just the, the religious aspect of it anyway, uh, it just doesn't go hand in hand. When you look at what's going on with the Uyghurs in these concentration camps, you know, and, and I'm starting to read more and more about this stuff, it's not just concentration camps. These are re-education camps. Okay, these are re-education camps back to the Zedong days uh, and the original China, or not the original, I guess the latest Chinese communist revolution, right? So it goes all the way back to that. But here's the incredible thing about it, reading up on, on a little bit of the history. The whole basis for the Chinese communist revolution was because of the disparity uh, as far as like you know, the different, um, the different classes in China, right? You had, you had a lot of economic disparity where your poor were extremely poor, your rich were extremely rich. You had the upper class. And that's kind of like, when you ever talk about communist revolts or socialist results or revolts, that's your revolution. That's kind of where that comes from. And that's kind of what's going on right now. You know, is you had the Uyghurs that are primarily farmers, right? Um, played a role in the silk, you know, it's just a very, uh, and I'm, I'm looking for a word here, but when you lack of a better term, like a very feudal, you know, economic, uh, you know, infrastructure compared to when the Hans came in and then the Hans started taking all the good jobs and then they moved beyond farming. And the next thing you know, they start pricing out the Uyghurs because now you've created two classes. You've got the Hans who are ethnic Chinese, Right, that are based uh, on that communist principle, and then you've got the Uyghurs uh, who are primarily farmers. So you've created the same two classes that you had that were the reason for the the last Chinese communist revolution. So you know it's a little bit ironic. The when you look at the re-education camps, I mean, you can only imagine what that is. Okay, it, it, and it's not a hey, we're just going to go send you to school. And uh, we're going to teach you about the communist ways. and It doesn't happen like that, right? I mean, you're talking about all kinds of abuse. And I will tell you, the Uyghurs have come back and, you know, I think they tried to bomb an airline. Uh, so they are actually starting to ramp up their level of violence to fight back because here's what happens to these folks out there on that, uh, in that area of the world. You know, and this, was, this has been my argument when, especially with Afghanistan, because we've all done multiple tours out there. They don't have anywhere else to go. Okay, and I tell you what, man, you start back because at first when I started reading about the Uyghurs, it's like, well, okay, you know, they had a they had an incident, uh, what, two thousand nine, uh, they killed a bunch of Hans, and then you had the airline thing and a couple things. You start reading, it's like, okay, these are some pretty bad dudes, but you're talking about decades, right? Decades of the Hans moving in, pushing them out, and then eventually you get to the point where there's nowhere else to go. And that's what, you know, when I went to Afghanistan, that was one perspective I always tried to keep as you were, you know, fighting against the Taliban and, you know, and whatever. And this is beyond, you know, Al-Qaeda and, and, and ACM. You know, those groups moved in. When you looked at, like, true Taliban, uh, you know, which kind of just became a term because everybody was Taliban. Out there, but there's, there's nowhere else for these guys to go. Where are you going to bomb them back to? 
Where are you going to fight them back to? Nowhere. This is what they have. There's nowhere else to, to relocate to. Um, so, and then Luke, you did bring up something pretty interesting with the, you know, where's the rest of the Muslim, you know, community. And I'm wondering, you know, is that something that happens in 10 or 15 years? If there are any Uyghurs left by then, I don't know. Uh, at this rate, probably not. But when you say five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years down the road, is that something that the Muslim community gets behind? Uh, because, I, and you guys can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on this stuff. It's when you look at relationships between the Muslim community and the Chinese, it seems like for the most part, it's been kind of, you know, they just kind of stay apart. China kind of does its thing and, you know, the Muslim world does its thing. And, and I don't recollect and you, I'm, I'm sure there are, I'm sure I'm just, you know, not being the globalist that Luke is, I'm just not, you know, privy to it. I, I just don't track it as much, but, uh, just kind of makes you wonder when they start to come in and say, Hey, look, um, we're going to start backing our, you know, Uyghur brothers and sisters over there or whatever. So I forget one of you had, had more info on it. Was it, uh, I think it was Josh, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> When we talk about why why Muslim countries and, and Muslims in general won't won't get on board with you know rallying rallying and you know in support of the Uyghurs, a lot of it for at least some of the you know a lot of the predominant Middle Eastern countries is China's Belt Road Initiative. So for those of you for those listeners who may not be familiar with China's Belt oh, Road yeah. Initiative, think back to the Silk Road. Uh, so in 2013. China launched what they call the Belt Road Initiative. It links 78 countries across Asia, Africa, Europe, and uh, and Oceania. So uh, they have a lot of money. China's funded a lot of money into these countries, right? So they're building a massive port in Pakistan. And so that's the that's the lever that China uses with some of these predominantly Muslim countries. Hey, all right, you keep your mouth shut about the Uyghurs, and we'll keep that money rolling into that port. You know, you'll prosper too. If you want to bow, you know, if you want to buck up against us, you know, because of the Uyghurs, we'll just go ahead and pull that money lever and, and, and shut that thing down. And you know, you can go back to to your squalor. The other the other two things uh, in, from an article I pulled um, from from Al Jazeera actually kind of interesting is that you know so you bring up the Uyghurs bombing the plane so. There was also an incident, I want to say it was 2017, 2018, where a couple of Uyghurs, they killed like 31 people, 31 you know Han Chinese with knives. And I think it was like on a train or some a train, a subway somewhere. And so China is using, we are trying to control terrorism, right? And so some of the countries, they can get on board with that. They can understand that. Because they're trying to keep, you know, some of the dictators, you know, hey, we're, we're trying to keep that out of, our, out of our backyards, too. So that kind of resonates with them, some of the Middle Eastern countries. And then at the end of the day, dude, there's some Middle Eastern countries. Guess what? Their human rights record, not not exactly uh, not exactly good. So they don't want that highlighted. So I think those are from, you know, from reading and, and you know, trying to get smart on this. I think those are some of the reasons why we, we haven't heard some of the predominantly Muslim countries and a lot of your prominent uh, Islamic figures come up and get on board and, and speak out against this. You know, so we kind of touched on some of the things that are that are going on in in some of the camps. So according to the United Nations, in 2018, 80% of all IUD placements in China, 80% were done in Xinjiang province. Xinjiang province 
only accounts for 1.8% of China's population, but they put 80% of the IUDs in, in Xinjiang province. So, you know, do the math, look at the Uyghurs, you, you know, they're not, they're not putting them in camps, putting them in ovens, but they're simply sterilizing them, you know? And so two generations from now, generation from now, they're, they're, they're just not going to exist as a people. Um, and if you read section, if we can't force them out, if we can't force them out, we'll breed them we'll out. Breed them out. Yep. Well, and Long remember the shakes, UN. I'm baby. glad you brought up the UN because they they inquired about it, right? And you know what China's answer was? We don't have any camps. UN was like, okay, sounds good to me. And then the UN put China on the Human Rights yes. Council. <laughs> dude, you on can't the make Human this Rights stuff Council. Up. It absolutely, dude, it's, it's absolutely insane. But if you go in and you read Section D, Article 2 of the Crime of Genocide from the United Nations, quote, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the targeted group. Right, that's straight out of Section D, Article 2, published December 9th in 1948. That, that literally is a crime of genocide. China is doing it right now, and nobody... Nobody is calling them to task on it. Um, it's so we, we talked about you know the re-education camps. They, you know they're not just they're not just labor camps. They're flat out re-education camps. The uh, Australian Strategic Policy Institute found evidence in, last year of 380 re-education camps in Xinjiang Province. Uh, so I pulled a Washington Post article, and they interviewed this lady. She was a Uyghur. Uh, she managed to escape China and made it made it to the United States. She she now lives up in up in Northern Virginia. I don't, I'm not going to use I'm not going to use her name, but she described some of the things that you know happened to her in uh, you know in the in the Uyghur camps. First off, all the Uyghur, all the towns, villages, cities where Uyghurs live. It's all under, you know, ubiquitous technical surveillance. It's 24 seven, uh, you know, monitoring, you know, they have the block captains like they do in Cuba, you know, that report on their neighbors for, you know, not wearing masks, going outside of their house during court. Oh, sorry. That's in the U S um, you know, they have those, uh, you know, they have their, their, their block captains. So she spent 62 days in a re-education camp. She, she was in a cell with 60 women. The cell was designed to hold about 20. They had to lay down and sleep in shifts because not everybody could lay down at once. There was just there were there was too many of them. Um, and then they gave them they gave them medication and they gave them other uh, other things. It, it it completely it either changed significantly changed their menstrual cycle or it stopped it completely. Um. And then at the end, you know, when she when she finally got released after 62 days, they told her, hey, we're going to give you a free medical procedure, you know, no cost. The government will pay for it. They wouldn't tell her what it is, but they forced her to do it. They went and, you know, she was like, no, I don't want it. And so like a day or two later, they snatched her back out of her house and they did it. And they basically they basically tied her tubes. Um, and there the other one, let's see, you know. They were made. They had to put on uh, put on this this basically like this helmet that had electrodes attached to it. Uh, it was electroshock therapy. You know, they had to sing songs about Xi Jinping and about the you know praising the Chinese Communist Party. Absolutely crazy, man! Like this is this is literally happening as we're sitting here recording this. And you know, so we talked about 
a little bit about the, uh, you know, Roger, you touched on it and companies and, you know, capitalism, how can, you know, people that are profiting off of this and how, how, how do we stop this? So I think it was Ryan or somebody posted, you know, a list of the companies that are benefiting from the, these labor camps because they're still making products, man. They're, they're, they're rounding them up. They're sticking them in, sticking them in rooms and they're, and they're making products. And here's a list of the companies that are directly benefiting from, uh, I'll touch on a couple of them because there's, it's, it's a huge list. So Adidas, Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, Gap, Fila, H&M, L.L. Bean, Nike, Puma, Polo, Ralph Lauren, uh, Skechers, Victoria's Secret are just a uh, are just a few of them that are directly benefiting from this Uyghur forced labor out in uh, out in Zhejiang province. It's absolutely insane. It's it is literally genocide by the very definition. They're they're literally sterilizing people, having them in concentration camps, forced labor. You know, everybody everybody knows what it says right above the gate of of Auschwitz. You know, work work will set you free. Um, it's it's terrible, and I just at, at some point either the world has to care, or no country on earth can sit there and and, and maintain that moral that moral high ground as they sit here and, and watch this go by. It's it's a damn tragedy. I think I think Roger was onto something with. Um like when when does this finally uh you know when when do uh, some of these extremist uh muslim groups you know start start up uh, paying attention and I, I think we're we're witnessing uh we're in the midst of a global shift and i i try to be uh optimistic about it but it's hard it's hard to be optimistic uh seeing what's going on in the US and what's going on in China how we react to certain things how China reacts to certain things it's hard for me not to envision uh, the the remainder after 2050 or sooner than that even the remainder of the century not being the Chinese century uh, things would have to change significantly so uh, piggybacking on on Roger and Josh with this is Roger's like well when are they going to stand you know everything comes full circle you know they're going to stand up sooner or later and yeah they're not they're not. Uh, the, they they they're they're holding their people in line because of the ports and the amount of money that comes in, but it's a very I'll use Josh's word ubiquitous. Uh, the Chinese presence right now is uh, ubiquitous, not the right word. It's it's passive, but it's much the same as you know the oil companies were back in the nineteen sixties, fifties, sixties. Seventies uh, up to seventy nine, then it started getting kind of chippy over there in in the Middle East. Uh, the same thing's going to happen with China. Once they're the big dog on the on the road, uh, big dog on the on the block, um, people uh, sit up and start paying attention because they'll, they'll have nothing to lose. Uh, much the same as you know, Al Qaeda uh, did with the U.S., uh, ISIS does with Europe. Um, eventually, it's going to come around and, and hit them. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Now, one thing Josh uh, brought up the Australian uh, study or statement or whatever it's not like nobody in the world it's like we don't hear it a lot about a lot about it in the u.s i know australians are making a lot of noise about it right now and they're they're going head to head with china on that diplomatically uh i don't know i, I you know our indian listeners I'd, I'd like to hear uh if it's if it's even news over there i don't know i think uh 14.9 percent of the uh, indian population is muslim it's a majority hindu 
but I, I'd be interested to, to hear about that, you know. Uh, in particular, you know, I, Josh was supposed to bring this up, but he kind of petered out on it. Uh, we, we were tracking a pretty close. We're like, oh, shit, here we go. Toward the end of, of Trump's term about uh, India and China going at it uh, there on the border. And I don't have all the names right in front of me. But the good news, I guess, if you want to call it that, is, you know, we were digging into it in preparation for this podcast, it seems, uh uh, just a couple days ago, uh, a bunch of articles were coming out saying that India and China have uh, started to pull troops back from that contested uh, lake or river there. And, you know, it is interesting. You know, you see a 6% uptick in uh, your listenership in India. And you're like, wow, oh, wow, okay. Well, yeah, I know a lot of people speak English over there. Why are they interested in the podcast? So you start digging into, you know, I, I really don't know much about India but I do know this. I do know that the population is extremely dense. I know the population is extremely high. I also know that the population of China is extremely high. I know that there are limited resources in the world. And I know that eventually, when you have high populations uh, and dense populations and limited resources, eventually those two populations are going to go head to head. It's just, it's almost natural law. So, yeah, I, I know that India is also a nuclear power, as is Pakistan, as is China. So I'm sure that uh, holds a lot of the uh, the uh, gunplay at bay uh, most times. But you know, it's just a matter of time before India and China really go head to head, and probably not on a nuclear level. N- neither can afford that. But it is a very interesting part of the world. Um, and we'd we'd love y'all's feedback on that if you if you have anything to add. So I guess my. I guess if anything's going to happen over there, now's the time for it to happen because we can send our vice president over who, by all media accounts, is the first woman, black, Indian, Asian vice president that we've had. So what better person to send than Kamala Harris, right? It's like, hey, I'm Asian. Hey, I'm Indian. Peace out, guys. Right. She can bring the peace together. She can bring. And it's crazy because when you talk about and obviously we can't control the rest of the world. But when we talk about what we're doing here, you guys hear that they're talking about like allowing Huawei products back into the U.S. I mean, they're talking about sitting there with all. So everything that Trump did over the last you know couple of years and everybody knows like the whole TikTok thing. And, and you know, and, and this goes beyond Trump. So it's not like a, it was a Trump thing. I think there was an actual uh, it was done during Barry's administration. There was a Senate Intel report that came out that basically banned Huawei. And uh, they, as well as the FBI at the time, came out and said, hey, yeah, you don't need to have any Huawei products on your on your backbone and and what have you. But I read uh, earlier this week that they're sitting here talking about, yeah, well, you know what, we might, it's more of a global society and, uh, you know, to be, in, you know, to be better connected uh, with the rest of the world, you know, we're going to have to allow some of these products in here. And so then it just makes you wonder, it's like, well, how hard are these lobbyists pushing now? I mean, it's got to be a huge PR campaign. It's going to be a huge money campaign. I mean, we already know what, what uh, Hunter got. Um but there's got to be this huge campaign on politicians now uh, to allow China to come back in the market, which I think is, is you know, it's, it's very hard because when you sit there and you look at, okay, we're not going to go to war with China. So where, where's your war? Okay, it, it's your trade war and, and your economic, you know, policies is, is what you have. Uh, and the more you allow China's meat hooks into our infrastructure, our technology, um, you know, the harder it is to do that. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, as you were talking about, uh, you know, what was the, what was the plan called, Josh? What was the um, the name, damn, 
Belt Road Initiative. Yeah. So I remember reading something about that not too long ago, and I forget the amount off the top of my head, but you said Pakistan and I think India. I think when you look like the amount of money that they are going to invest in the infrastructure uh, in that region of the world, I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible, right? And so they start to infiltrate from the ground up, and then they make you dependent on them. And so when you get to folks about, you know, we talk about force projection, and it's not just military, but it's also economic policies, right? Um, I know not everybody's a fan of sending money for this and that or whatever, but there are some rhyme reasons for doing that stuff, because if you don't do it, somebody else is going to, okay? And if somebody else does that, than those other countries, as Luke gives me the, the the big look there, but it's uh, as somebody else starts feeding this and funding this, uh, it makes them reliant on that, and that and that's kind of like when you look at uh, when you look at you know you talk about China and India. Uh, what if uh, you know India becomes solely dependent on China as far as their infrastructure, telecoms? They, they might already be. Like I said, I'm like you, Luke. I don't, I don't know enough about it. Uh, I guess we can, you know, always reach out to Fang Fang and Swalwell. Which, dude, I can't. I'm sorry, man. So I'm sitting there watching like the impeachment stuff, right? And I know I'm jumping around a little bit. I'm watching the impeachment stuff. Uh, one, it's just, it's just completely dumb. I mean. I, my kid can do a better cropping job and like, you know, taking things out of context than, than what the Democrats did, uh, day one. Now the GOP did not help themselves. I don't know if the GOP lawyer or Trump's lawyers, like, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking, uh, day one, because they were horrible. They were atrocious today. They were a lot better, but I see Falwell or uh, Swalwell get up there, Fartwell, whatever. Uh, but I can't take that dude seriously, man. I'm like, you're going to get up here and talking about, you know, insurrections and this and that. And I'm like, dude, you were like nailing a Chinese spy and you were probably being run, but for the last several years, probably still is being run. Yeah, it's like, I can't take that dude seriously. But then uh, today I actually watched uh, probably a good couple hours of the, uh, of Trump's uh, defense. Yeah. Yeah. Good call, Josh. Yeah. Feinstein's driver. It's like 20 years, right? 20 years. Imagine what he was privy to over the last 20 years. So in this industry, I hate that term, in this industry, because nobody else knows this industry, but you know, in our industry, uh, you always talk about like the gray people, right? It's always the gray people. It's You know your enemies, and, and you know your allies or your friends, but it's always those folks who used to come like the janitors, and, and those folks that are just... You know, they have access to everything. They're the dumb nugs. They don't know anything. They're just stupid. This guy's just here to take out the trash can. Hey, this guy's just here to drive me around. Uh, this guy's just here to, to, to clean the bathroom or whatever. That's those gray people, man, that are that are privy to, uh, to everything. But anyway, back to the impeachment. Sitting there listening to the defense today. Uh, I don't know, Josh, Luke, if either one of you caught any of it. Great job with the defense. I don't know what the... Uh, you know what the pundits are going to say about it, but basically, Democrats the first day played just a bunch of clips of things that Trump said, and you know whatever, totally out of context. Uh, whether you believe or not, whatever. What the defense did today was one play the entire clip, uh, even back to like the Charlottesville thing, play the entire clip so they get the context of it, and not only that, but then actually took the clips from the Democrats what they said during the impeachment hearing. And, you know, a couple of things they've gone back a couple of years ago where he's like, he's just playing clips of them saying the word fight, like 30 clips. We got to fight, fight, fight. We got to fight in Pelosi. We got to fight. Dude, it was classic. So I tell you what, get on YouTube, go take a look at it because they did it about three or four times a day. And uh, it was absolutely hilarious. I thought it was, I thought it was a great, uh, you know, a great comeback from their, their failed first day. But I guess it takes me to 
like I don't even know. I guess watching it, and you know, it's pretty. It's pretty much out there as a Trump supporter, as all three of us were. But the guy's gone. Like I haven't even heard of the guy. Right? He's gone down to Mar-a-Lago. He's doing whatever it is that he, that he's doing. They can't get over him. I don't even know what the end result of this thing is. Like, I don't think he's going to be impeached. I mean, he's not going to be found guilty. And if he is, so what? I mean, it does nothing. It's totally a political process. Um, I like what his lawyers did at the end saying, hey, there's a COVID relief bill that needs to be passed, so I'm not going to take up all your time because I hope that you guys and gals will take the time and go ahead and pass a stimulus bill, right? Throw it back to the American people. But he is gone. They just can't seem to get him out of their heads which brings me to Nikki Haley. And I think, uh, who was it said that he was, uh, that she was licking the uh, chocolate starfish? Was that Josh? So Josh, what do you think, man? Like what the heck just happened? So Nikki Haley, I'm going to do my, you know, ask the question and then go into my five minute diatribe, like, like Josh or uh, Luke says. So she's been a, a supporter of Trump, right? Ride to the end, ride or die. Um, she's been out there and, and I think they've been, uh, very complimentary towards each other. And, you know, he's helped her out. She's helped him out a big supporter. And then I'll let you go into it, Josh. Like what happened today? I mean, I, I was actually shocked when you said it, I had to pull up the articles. Like, I can't believe it. Yeah. All right. So real quick. So uh, that was, I'm the one that sent the article. It was actually Luke. Uh, and, and for the, for the sensitive, you need to plug your ears for a minute. Uh, it was actually Luke that said Nikki Nikki Haley was uh, licking Mitch McConnell's <laughs> chocolate starfish, right? So uh, <laughs> we'll get back to Mitch McConnell's chocolate starfish here in a minute. Uh, put a pin in it, real quick. I want to finish up with uh, with India and uh, and China. So the area that we're ta- you know the area that we were, you know you were talking about it was last year when you know India and China we were looking at that and it was like. Holy smokes, man! Like we we are about to have two nuclear powers potentially go at it, and so up in it's directly east of the Kashmir region, which is you know everybody knows that's a disputed region between Pakistan and India, which you know Pakistan for those of you who are uh, geogra- not geographically uh, inclined, Pakistan sits to the west of the west and just a little bit of the northwest of India. So it's in a place called the Galwan Valley, and it's a place called Pangong Lake. Uh, for our listeners in India, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, feel free to jump on our you know our Facebook page, uh, Instagram, you know, ridicule me. It's fine. I've, I put on my big boy pants every day. So there's it's a lake. There's three, ter- you know, there's eight terrain features that stick out into the lake. They, you know, they look like fingers, so they call them the fingers. Well, India claims all eight of those. Uh, they... They patrol uh, three, kind of up to finger three, as they call it, and then they do joint patrols with them and the Chinese for the rest, the rest of the five. And so, you know, last year they they went to they went to fisticuffs. Literally, it was no guns were involved. It was straight fist pipes, rocks, anything you pick up. And twenty Indian uh, soldiers died, and a lot of them basically fell to their deaths. Because you're talking about the Western Himalayas. It's very you know the ridges up there are are knife edge, uh, and so you know that area. Is you know it's long been disputed between between China and and India. So, but last year, like I mean, it was getting it was getting very very sporty up there, especially toward the end of the year. And it was like, okay, are these you know are these two countries about to about to go to guns and go at it? Pakistan was loving it because they would love nothing more than to see you know China take over take over India. Um, 
but good news is that they are starting. You know, they de-escalated. China is actually pulling its troops back uh, out of the uh, Pangong Lake area. So, so that's good. Hopefully, you know this the, the, this has some diplomatic into uh, it and not a uh, not a kinetic solution. But we're, so I'm still on China. Uh, China is not to be underestimated. So Roger's talking about the economic pressure that China leverages on folks. They are beating everybody. And, you know, it's the gray zone, right? So it's that zone that's just below the threshold of kinetic conflict, but it's above the friendly economic competition, right? So you're in the middle of that. It's the gray zone. And China is beating us. China is beating us with the Belt Road Initiative, with their, their expansion onto basically all the continents. And one thing that people people and I didn't realize, and this is one of the things that I've, I've been digging into for a while on, on the work side of how is so the everybody knows the Mekong River, right? Everybody's heard about the Mekong. You know, Viet, most people associate the Mekong with Vietnam and uh, you know apocalypse now. Well, the the Mekong River originates in China. Before the Mekong River leaves Chinese borders, China went in and built 11 dams. So now China, China controls the Mekong River, which includes 20% of the world's freshwater fish catch. Think about that. 20% of the world's freshwater fish catch, China controls the Mekong River it either touches or supplies the water to the tributaries for Myanmar, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam. China controls that. Think about how much leverage China can now place on those countries. I control your drinking water. I control your economy. I control 20% of the world's freshwater fish catch. It, China has and China has been doing this and it's all about the name uh, you know it's all been done well it's just economics it's just the economy it's the economy you know China's not bad it's a global economy it's a global economy China's been playing chess man we've been playing connect four we weren't even playing checkers it's it's dude China has killed us they've absolutely killed us in the gray zone and, and I'm telling you right now 10 years from now China will own the United States and they will not have fired a shot. I'm telling you right now, it's it's not good. Well, it's bad. I, People need to pay attention. I'm going gonna, gonna to inject and then kick it right back to you, I promise. But people said the same thing about Japan back in the 80s. Well, Japan's going to eat our lunch. You know, they own so much real estate, this and that, whatever. Oh, Japan, Japan. Japan is a competitor but not a strategic competitor and that was a different time man yep. the 1980s was a different time and the the, the Japan's an ally they're one of our closest allies in the world i yeah. mean name me i mean other than the five eyes you know english speaking you know uh, australia new zealand uh, canada uk name me i mean you know name me another uh, ally that's that's as strong as japan I mean, Colombia is close. People don't realize that. Colombia is a very, very strong partner of ours, ally. They consider themselves. But that's that's why I was going to interject, Josh, is that this is just a different time. I don't think that I, – I try not to be chicken little. I really try not to be chicken little. But 
I just see the way things are going. I don't see the momentum stopping. I, I definitely don't see the momentum stopping, especially not with this administration. And I, we could dedicate episodes, episodes to, to what China is doing around the world. China owns U.S. land here in the lower 48. China owns the equivalent to the size of the state of Tennessee in the lower 48. That's how much land they own. They outright bought it. They own it. Chinese companies own it. The size of the state of Tennessee. Now, people say, oh, well, China's, you know, it's just they're, they're just an economic competitor. They're just an economic competitor. I'm telling you right now, China is not an economic competitor. China, you go back and you look at, you know, one of y'all brought it up. You talked about the revolutions, right? You talk about the color, color you know, the, the color revolution that China had. People are like, oh, well, that ended. No, it didn't. It did not end. Go read The Great Chinese Revolution by John King Fairbank. It'll tell you. And if you go back and you look at what China says they're going to do, they are going to do it. When Xi Jinping says we are going to take Taiwan, they are going to take Taiwan. I I promise you, right, they could take Taiwan today and we wouldn't do shit about it. They wouldn't do shit about it, especially not with the current administration being as soft on China. Roger brought it up. We all know what Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's got his, you know, he's he's tied monetarily into China. He's in bed with him. Biden, therefore, is in bed with him. It's not good. It is it, it, it is absolutely it is absolutely not good. So circling back to Roger's original question, I forgot about you, Roger. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it <laughs> well, over. No, real quick on the Japan <laughs> thing, you gotta remember with Japan by treaty, weren't allowed to have a defense force, weren't allowed to have a military. So there's right. a big difference. And I remember in the 80s, they're like, oh, Japan owns 90%. Well, it's like, you know, we kind of did that because we said, oh, by the way, you know, we had a couple, you know, that whole World War thing. Uh, so they weren't <laughs> able to have a military. We provided a lot of that defense. So it is an apples and oranges comparison uh, when you look at what Japan was doing in the 80s versus, you know, what China was doing back then and continues to do now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, and that's a great, that's a great point. So for Nikki Haley, I think it was, I mean, I think it was, it might've been Luke. It might've been you, Roger. I'm not sure. A couple episodes ago, we were talking about a lot of these politicians who turned on Trump, you know, the minute, you know, on January 21st, they were, they were off the Trump train. It was like, okay, well, you wrote his coattails for a very long time. You wrote his coattails and you benefited from him. And now that he's out, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and throw him under the bus. So the latest one to do it, you know, Nikki Haley came out today or yesterday and said it was a mistake to listen to him. You know, he wasn't a good president. It was a mistake to follow him and everything. Well, she's one of the front runners for 2024. She's a name that gets talked about a lot. And so, you know, Nikki Haley, um, I think that I think she's going ahead and she's, you know, publicly positioning herself to to run in in 2024. I'd be curious to hear what Nikki Haley has to say, you know, being the former ambassador to the United Nations and being a, uh, you know, of, of Indian descent. I'd be curious to see what she has to say about the Uyghurs in, in Western China um, up there in in, in the disputed region of uh, Indian China up there in the Galwan Valley. I'd be curious to hear what she has to say. Maybe she can come out and talk about that instead of denigrating the former president to, uh, to score political points. Luke, what, uh, what do you think? <laughs> That's a good point. I, I had, I had uh, forgotten about Nikki Haley being of Indian descent. That's a good point. Um, you know, one, one more China thing, a couple more China things, you know, uh, Maybe that'll be Trump's legacy, you know, uh, the, the guy who warned about China. And, uh, you know, the empty words, 
it's it's all political. Biden saying they're going to eat our lunch. Well, yeah, like Josh said, dude, they've already they already ate our lunch, our Twinkies, and took our lunch money for tomorrow. I mean, it's dude, yeah, wake up. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for thanks for reminding us. But you know, maybe maybe that'll be Trump's legacy. You know, um, you know, you know, I, being a globalist as I am. Uh, I track a lot of uh, foreign stuff, uh, the foreign affairs and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not talking down to, to Roger at all. I know he tracks this too. It's not like I'm smarter than these guys. Everybody knows that's true. But, you know, one of the things, you know, is, is a very strategic move by Trump to push for, you know, starting the process of reunification between North and South Korea. Because if North and South Korea could actually peacefully reunite, uh, get rid of the dictator, uh, get rid of the Kim dynasty and all that stuff. Now, it's it's not going to happen anytime soon. But if that did happen, let's just say it happened uh, within a couple years, that would be extremely bad for China. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because you now you have a technological power, which is South Korea, with a ton of cheap labor. A ton of cheap labor. And that cheap labor is going to get an increase in uh, in quality of life almost overnight, and you are going to have a powerhouse. So that's bad for China, and I think that that was part of the calculus. I don't know. I, I guarantee one of Trump's advisors told him that. I don't know if Trump figured that out himself or not, but I thought that was a great move. But you're going to have Chinese uh, lobbyists, uh, you know, or China, you know, lobbyists who work for Chinese interests uh, lobbying against that. Because of that very reason, it would be bad economically for China. For China, it'd be really bad. But it would also the other lobbyists you have that would would be Japan, because it would also be very bad for Japan to have all of a sudden you have another competitor in the region. That is not good for them. They don't want that. They're happy with status quo as long as long as nukes don't start flying. Now with China, I, I, I'm going to kick it to Roger after after a couple points there's there's been a couple of things that Joe Biden has done over the past um, week where it's like why are you doing this I know there's an explanation for it I wish you would tell me the truth on why exactly you're doing this the first one is I'll, I'll tie it with China here is Joe Biden withdraws US policy to track Chinese influence in American schools now, China has something called the Confucius Institute where they fund uh, a lot of universities. There's a, they fund uh, certain study programs, certain research. It's called uh, the Thousand Talents and the Confucius Program. And it's like Josh says, a den of spies is all it is. And this, the universities used to, uh, uh, I think Trump started the policy where we're going to start tracking that really close. And they're going to have to uh, tell us how much money they're giving for what purpose, so on and so forth. And... and and Biden withdrew that policy. And I'm like, and that is from the Hindustan Times. Ha ha. <laughs> he withdrew that policy. And I'm like, why? Why on earth would you do that? Okay. That's not necessarily the question for Roger, but I would like him to touch on it. Another one uh, that Biden, it, the Biden administration is moving to revoke the terrorist designation for Yemen's Houthi rebels. And it's again, it's like, why? That's from France 24. You're not going to see that in USA Today. It's like, why are you doing this? And, and then U.S. News, the very next day, uh, headline, U.S. warns Yemen's Houthi rebels after terrorism delisting. It's like, we delisted you, but you better watch your step. It's like, 
in my mind, I'm working through the, the process. I'm like, why would they do that? And I think, well, maybe they're doing it because they want to bring Iran to the table with, with nukes. And Iran, actually, that's another point. We can talk about that later. But maybe they want to bring it, and that's one of Iran's conditions. you got to delist the Houthi rebels that we support uh, in order for us to even come to the table. But here's my point, and this goes all the way back to the Iraq invasion of 2003. Just tell us the truth, man. Just tell us the truth. We can handle it, and we will decide whether it's worth it. We, the people, will decide, okay, is that the right or wrong call? But instead, you're going to obfuscate and say, well, we're, we're delisting them from the terrorism because Orange Man bad. And everything he did was bad, so we're just going to relook all these policies, including calling uh, what's going on with the Uyghurs a genocide. So it's like, just tell us the truth, man. I mean, what, what, what are you doing? I mean, these are two really bad calls in one week. We talked about all the, all the toothless executive orders and the Keystone Pipeline and all that stuff. You know, I think the Keystone Pipeline is a mistake, but we'll get over it, okay? We've lived without it this long. It would be better for jobs and the economy if we had it, but I can get over it, okay? But these two calls right here, one is foreign policy. I guess they're both foreign policy with the Houthi rebels, but the other is domestic policy with the Confucius Institute and just, well, no, we're going to reverse that policy of, of tracking them and, uh, and making them declare what, exactly what they're doing. So it's like, you know, Roger, I, I don't know. These are two, in my opinion, really bad calls. And it's like, uh, who said it? Uh, uh, Josh, it was the Secretary of Defense, can't remember, uh, said, I think it's SecDef, said that Joe Biden has been wrong on every foreign policy decision of the past 47 years. And it's like, well, here we go. You know, but the question is, is he wrong because he's just a fucking idiot? Or is he wrong because he's just on the wrong side of history? He's just on the wrong side of, of making these decisions, not, not playing the long game. I hope Roger's ready. I'm going to kick it to him and get his thoughts. <laughs> Thanks. Well, one, because on I the, talked on for the, a long time. I, I started with the question. <laughs> <laughs> on, the China, on the China piece, it's, uh, it goes back to the mirror image fallacy we talked about last episode. The Biden administration and their officials do not agree with anything that's happened in the last four years. They think orange man bad. We've been too hard. You know, it, it really is that globalist stance versus a nationalist policy. Because, it, like we talked about, I think one thing that we've seen in the last couple of years or over the last decade has been a very you know it's been a big change. It's not the America first. You know, from the left, it, it's not America first. It's oh well, the earth, the country. You know, the, the, all the countries of the world. You know, it's it, we have to move together globally. Uh, whereas Trump really brought in that, you know, nationalist, hey, it's America first. And if everybody else can go with us, that's that's great. But the one, I don't think the Biden administration, going off with a lot of the officials that were coming from the Obama administration, believe that. They, they go back to that whole, uh, we're one world, we need to, you know, progress together. And I think that Biden and, his, and that camp believes that Trump was just mean, orange man was just mean to China. And so this is how we're going to soften it. This is how we're going to soften the language with China. This is how we're going to improve our relations with China because it's that mirror image fallacy. It's the, well, if we do this, then China will, they're going to soften their stance and maybe they won't steal as, as much of the, uh, you know, the, the $600 billion a year that we lose an IP theft to them. Hey, maybe they're only still $250 billion next year because we were nicer to them. Okay, that's one aspect of it. And, and it's obviously being pushed by the lobbyists, right? We talked about, we opened the episode up with it. When you talk about, 
big businesses and the NBAs and these other companies that are involved, uh, it's a lot of lobbying. Hey, we have to soften the tone. And that's how it works politically. You don't necessarily have to come over the top, you know, direct shot right to the face. Uh, you, you can be uh, very passive about it and you bring it in the schools. You just soften the stance. And, and we're seeing that not just with China. We're seeing that with a lot of our domestic policies in the schools. Or just look at the whole, uh, I know it's totally off topic, but like the whole breast milk. What, hospitals don't call it breast milk anymore? They call it chest milk. You know, you just, you soften that blow. And I'm going to tell you this. So if I was a kid and I was drinking milk, I would want to know that it's breast milk and not just chest milk. Cause I'm not sure I want any type of milk from, uh, you know, any, anybody other than a, a woman. So I'll just, I'll leave it at, at that. When it comes down to the Houthis, I have no idea what they're doing. Um, you know, there is, I've read a little bit on it as far as like Al Jazeera for what it's worth and a couple other, uh, international publications and, there is a lot of concern over there, especially with uh, the declaration of, of you know, uh, as, a, as a terrorist organization, because what they've seen over the last two decades is, hey, man, once the U.S. declares you as a terrorist organization, we're about to free the shit out of you. So internationally, and rightfully so, there's probably some concern there that, hey, look, um, you know, this is going to, you know, ramp up to further hostilities and this and that. But the... As far as removing them and 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 removing them from that that list, I, dude, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see. I can't fathom like anything good that comes from that. I, I don't under, I don't understand one bit of it, even politically. Um, it's like I don't know who that benefits. I mean, it does. It clearly doesn't benefit us, right? Uh, or I should say our allies, you know, as far as that aspect goes, it's like when you look at the, you know whether we're you know you still consider us in the war on terror or not, or or whatever the case is. You know, they're a terrorist organization. So I don't, uh, I don't have a good answer for your question, man. There, there are some things that I see, and it's, uh, I just, I don't get it. I don't even have an answer. I don't know if Josh has a better answer for that. <laughs> I really don't have anything to say. I'm like, I don't know what, what are you thinking uh, by, by removing them from that list? I, I have no clue. Other than, you know, the Obama administration, there were several officials. Remember, they signed. Uh, Oh, what year was this? Yeah, I don't know. It was towards the end of a second term where you had a bunch of officials come out and basically like, hey, Yemen, that whole area, we just need to get the hell out of there. And, and that was their plan. And they, you know, they tried to persuade him to leave. And, you know, that's the only thing I think is that he's got some of those foreign policy folks in his camp now that are just saying, hey, we just need to unask the area. Uh, but again, that doesn't benefit us. That doesn't benefit us all. Now, I get it. It goes down to deeper issues. Uh, you know, you can look at Iraq. You can look at Afghanistan. You can look at the Middle East in general. Should we be there? Should we not be there? What, uh, what percentage of our force should be there? What role do we play? So it goes on to some bigger, you know, foreign policy issues. But other than just like unassing the AO, that's the plan. Uh, I'm not sure that's a great plan. And that's the only thing that I can see with, uh, with the whole Houthi uh, situation, Josh. I, I think it's safe to say... Anything that benefits China and anything that benefits Iran is bad for the United States. I think you can automatically, doesn't matter what it is, if it benefits China or Iran, it's automatically bad for the United States. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know what comment uh, Bonnie posted on your, you know, on that whatever thread you had on your Facebook page, Roger. But, uh, you know, Bonnie was like, I found it enlightening, and, you know, in, insightful and, you know, of value. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I didn't watch the video, but the fact that Bonnie says it's legit makes it bullshit right out of the gate. Like, I don't even need to watch it. 
Uh, so <laughs> I kind of I kind of put those in the same category. Uh, so we're talking, you know, looking at the Houthis. So you know, the Houthis are, are, are Shia backed. Uh, or, or Shia, they're not Shia back. They are they are Shia uh, terror group that came out of uh, Answer Allah uh, back, and they've been around since the nineties. The Houthis just didn't show up last last year, but they are absolutely tied to Iran. They're funded by Iran. They're supported by Iran, and. I think Luke, I don't know why we delisted him, but I think Luke probably has the the best explanation is, you know, Joe Biden, prior to the election, he said that we were going to go back into, you know, the Iran nuclear arms deal. And maybe that was, you know, one of Iran's demands for, for us to go back in. Maybe they told John Kerry when John Kerry was over there, you know, speaking with the Ayatollah, even, you know, long before the election, uh, we had that crazy thing called the Logan Act. Or I don't know. Um, or, you know, even if John Kerry was over there uh, doing the Jane Fonda, doing the Jane Fonda thing, um, maybe that already said, hey, you got to do this to, you know, take the Houthis off the terrorist watch list or the terrorist list, you know, for, for us to even consider you coming back in. I don't know, but I know Iran came out yesterday, day before yesterday, and said, "Yep, we're uh, we're enriching uranium, and it ain't for and it ain't for electricity, buddies." Uh, so you know, you you take that take that for what it's worth. Um, it was funny. So I was I was going back and listening to some of our earlier episodes uh, on the way way back and forth to work, and I listened to uh, to our I forget what number it is. But it was uh, Pelosi's distraction was the title. And it was, you know, when all the uh, deals came out with Israel and, you know, UAE and Israel, Bahrain and, and stuff. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's like we're trying to isolate Iran. That's the thing. You, you know, I, the whole Israel-Palestinian conflict, trying to get them to the table. It's like, no, we're trying to isolate Iran. That's the only way to... To, to fix that problem is to isolate Iran. And here the Biden administration is, no, we're not going to isolate Iran. We're going to kowtow to them. We're going to bow to them like Barry did. And it just, it doesn't make sense. The pallets Houthis, full of cash. Pallets full of cash. If you go back and you look at what the Houthis have done, they're, they're not good people. They, I don't know any way to put it. They're not good people. And I, I, I don't know what the long they, game is here. And I don't know if there is a long game. <laughs> Because the United States, you look at China, China has a 50-year plan. The United States, we change our policy every four to eight years based on who comes in office. China doesn't have that. China, you know, China's 50 years. Iran's playing the long game. You know what pisses I, me off about that is people were actually, in America, were actually justifying the pallets of cash that we sent, uh, that, that Barry sent back. They were like, well, technically, that was Iran's money to begin with, so we just gave them back their money. <laughs> that, I, the yeah, I, yeah, that whole that whole thing when there was like, well, that was you know, actually, actually, it was Iran's money. It was like, well, hey man, the mod made a lot of money that they froze, <laughs> and you know, the U.S. government would be like, oh well, <laughs> my bad. This is Don Corleone's money. We got to we, we got to give it back to him. That is just that whole thing with Iran. It, it, Again, and it, it, it's crazy when people actually look at it. You look at who our adversaries are, even, and we say this. You look at the national defense strategy. Uh, what was that? 20, 2017? You, 2017, 2018, the new national defense strategy, the NDAA came out, everything. It tells us who our adversaries are. Our adversaries, China, Russia, Iran, 
North Korea. And then these same people turn around and say, they're not bad people. They're fine. You're xenophobic. You're Islamophobic. Because, you know, it's like, dude, our own government is telling you who the, who the adversary is. And there's one particular party who kowtows to them. It's not even that. They they justify everything the left does. Because remember, remember, the employees that were fired due to the Keystone Pipeline, they were only temporary. Those were only temporary jobs for those guys. So you shouldn't feel bad for them because there are all these green jobs that are available for them right now to go into, right? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe maybe as as Barry said, remember those uh, shovel-ready jobs weren't so, uh, you know, shovel-ready? And then he laughed about it, right? He laughed about it on TV. I'm like, wow, man. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that were depending on that stuff, and they make it sound like it was a one-for-one swap. And I don't mean to hijack your stuff, but it's uh, it pisses me off because no matter what happens, no matter what the left does, and I don't care if it's the left or right, because I had this conversation with a buddy that, earlier today when, uh, you know, some other Republicans have come out and they say, uh, you know, Trump's taking over the party. We're going to create a third party or, or whatever. It's like, one, I don't even care about Trump anymore. He's not in office. The guy's not in office. He's not a political figure right now. If he runs, you know, I'll make that determination later down the road if I'm going to support him. But it's not even about him at all. He's not the one in office making policies. It's the current administration. And no matter what they do, the left justifies it. I mean, we got kids back in cages again. Dude, you can't make this shit up. Or they don't call them cages anymore. What was the the term for it? They're overflow camps, Roger. Stop. There we go. Get it. Get it right. Because here's the difference, and, and we go back, we'll tie this back to China before I throw, throw it over to Luke. You know, they, when you read about the, you know, internment camps for the Uyghurs, you know, it's funny because there's a whole bunch of names out there. You've got the internment camps, uh, you've got the re-education camps. I like the official name of it because this is totally what the Democratic Party would do. The Chinese government calls them vocational education and training centers. And they actually used old schools and old <laughs> Votech schools, right, to hold these education centers or these training centers. I, I, I'm sorry. So anyway, I'll throw it over, Luke. It just, it, it just really pisses me off because I don't care what the left does. It can be so effed up because according to even like Jen Psaki now, I'm wondering how long does she go before, like today, I heard her say, hey, we're only three weeks into this administration. Fuck, how long does that last? I mean, is it going to be next week? Hey, we're only one month in this administration. Hey, we're only 26 months into this administration. You know, I mean, how long are we going to hear that shit? Or is she just going to continue to circle back to us? Well, as soon as that, as soon as uh, that's over, well, we're only 26 weeks in and the media is going to start catching on and people can be like, well, that's kind of a long time. Then it'll be Trump's fault. You know, because something will happen with the economy. There'll be something. And it's like, well, it's 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 Orange Man. It, it was his his fault. You know, that'll be the next slide. You know, well, we're still getting settled until they're not. And then it'll be Trump's fault again. You know, back one more thing with the Houthi uh, movement. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not a it's not what you think. It's not like Al Qaeda. OK, this isn't they have their own government. They're starting to uh, print their own currency in a section of Yemen. It's a, almost like a breakaway republic almost now. Uh, but their official slogan, this is the official slogan of this movement, which some would call a government. Here's the slogan. My Arabic's really rusty, so I'm not going to torture you with that. So I'm just going to say it in English. And you can look this up yourself. This is their official slogan. God is great. That's good. 
That first part's good. God is great. <laughs> death to America. Death to Israel. Curse on the Jews. Victory to Islam. Now, man, those of you who know me, man, I'm a real big believer in the phrase, the historical phrase, civis romana sum. You know, and in Latin, that means I'm a citizen of Rome. And back in the day in the Roman Empire, you could go anywhere in the Roman Empire up to the very edges of it. And that's all you had to say, civis romana sum. I am a Roman citizen. And they would not mess with you. Because if somebody messed with that Roman citizen, they'd send the legions and raise the entire area. So people knew. They were like, just, just leave him alone. He's Roman. Just let him go. You know, he looks rich, but we don't, we don't need that around here. And they would police their own. So when someone's out there, I'm a real big believer in that. And I think America should be like that. It's like, you know, you know you're going to mess with our citizens. We're going to, you know, we're going to flatten the area, you know, and we're just going to let it sort itself out. And if you're saying, you know, death to America, well, those are in Texas, what we say is them's fighting words. You know, you, you, you don't even in Austin, <laughs> not in Austin, but Austin's not Texas. That's the People's Republic of Austin. Sorry, all Austin listeners, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting week, uh, been a real interesting week. I, I you know, I'd love to get into the Time magazine article. We don't have time for that today. There's a great Time magazine article. It was just it was hilarious. And I'd, I'd really like to do a whole episode on that if I can talk Roger and Josh into it. But first, before I kick it to Roger, I have to give Ryan a shout out to something he just commented on. If you guys remember the troll we had, uh, I think we covered it the last episode, old David on Facebook saying, I'll remind you what he said. He, he did not recommend our business, Culper's Canteen Co., for this reason. As a Republican, I find media outlets such as this the reason the Democrats won the majority of the House, Senate, and presidency. They promote far-right conspiracy theories and refuse to denounce white supremacists, rebel flags, swastikas, and Nazism. Not a good place to get information. Now, I was quite complimented, as I said last, last uh, episode, that he called us a media outlet. Whoa, that's a promotion. And he said we had a staff. I think Roger and Josh may be holding out on me. I don't know. But Ryan... <laughs> Down and I got to give a shout out before I say what Ryan said to uh, Shelly, Jed, and a couple other people. I'm forgetting right now for actually going after I called him out and recommending the business. Thank you so much, <laughs> appreciate it. But what Ryan said, he commented, he goes, "The television show Friends was immensely popular and ran for ten years. In all those ten years, they never once denounced white supremacism, <laughs> racism, rebel flags, or Nazism." The only explanation, I guess, is that all the actors, directors, producers, etc., racist bigots, right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. But, you know, I, I thought that was great. But I, I'm pretty sure, though, Roger, I'm pretty sure we have denounced those things. Uh, we've talked about the rebel flag, but I think the three of us are like, we really don't give a shit. It's like, fly it, don't fly it, take it off the state flag. I don't care, whatever. It's like, I understand some people have some pride in it, but whatever, man, I don't care. I really don't care. Well, I mean, like I, I kind of responded. If I'm wrong, no, I, and, and like I responded uh, later down in the post. So I am a minority as an Asian. I didn't know I had to do that. I thought that was kind of automatic, right? I mean, don't I? I, I maybe he's just talking to you two, but you know, I don't know. I, I didn't think I had to denounce like white, you know, supremacy and Nazis and all that stuff. I thought that was kind of given with my heritage and background, but I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I. 
I mean, I didn't know. I thought based on critical race theory that uh, that the Biden administration is very supportive of, I thought it was just all white people are just inherently racist. And I, I thought it was just assumed that, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter if I denounce it or not. I'm just I'm inherently racist because, you know, I'm I'm premium salting cracker white. I, my bad. Uh, I, I, it's hard to keep up with the rules these days. It's, it's hard. What's well, changing? And Roger actually read. Uh, he read the the book, didn't you? I did, and I, I have it written down. So maybe next episode, because you asked me to give like this little book review on it. So next episode, I'll take like five or six minutes and kind of give you my my takeaways from it before I forget it. I did write some of the stuff down, but it is coming time for my people because uh, lately there have been several major articles coming out on on MSM with uh, because of the whole China virus and this and that. Uh, with uh, assaults and violence uh, targeting Asian Americans uh, going through the roof, uh, especially in some of these bigger cities. So uh, it's up there. Don't don't shake your head. Yes, who, it's who are the perpetrators? Well, one, you guys it, abuse me on a, on a daily basis. So we'll uh, we'll save that for another episode. I My last, yak, I think the yakuza maybe the yakuza maybe. <laughs> we'll My last tidbit for I throw it to Josh. I think he had something else. So any of you guys tracking like the White House Deputy Press Secretary? Uh, so apparently this guy, TJ Ducklow, right, who's dating an Axios uh, political reporter, Alexi McCammon. Uh, so they're dating each other. Uh, Politico wanted to reach out to him and, and, you know, ask him about the relationship, yada, 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 because you've got somebody that's obviously serving on the administration, dating a reporter. And so Tara Palmieri uh, sent an email, from what I understand, to the girlfriend, kind of asking them, and then some dude uh, sent the questions to TJ Ducklow, and then he replied uh, directly to Tara, didn't, didn't reply to the guy, replied to Tara, and was basically like, you're just jealous because I won't fuck you, and I'll go fuck somebody else, and now they've never even met, right? I mean, he just goes off on this whole fucking thing, and you know, that, that somebody would have sex with somebody else besides you, like, it's like, dude, this guy is demented, has issues, and then he ends it with, you know, basically, like, if you pursue this line of questioning or this interview, I will destroy you. Okay, that's what he says. This is coming out. This is the White House Deputy Press Secretary. So, and I've got a, I've got breaking news update here too. Here is the quote that I take from, from earlier on in the year, and, and you guys can guess who said this. I'm not joking when I say this. If you ever work for me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect or talk down to someone, I will fire you on the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. Ted. President Joe Ted Biden. Ted said that. President Joe Biden, right? Because that was all in response to all the stuff that, you know, because Trump's a bad guy and he treats people bad and this and that and grain calls and this and that. So with all of that going on, and, and that article is actually published in Vanity Fair, if I'm not mistaken. So they just released it here during while we're recording here. Um, so the White House Deputy Press Secretary for all of that going on, which basically was harassment. Uh, you can probably even say sexual harassment, take to that extent. He was suspended for one week without pay. He really showed, I tell you what, the administration, oh, man, man, they really put their foot down on that one. Holy cow. So with that being said, that, that's all I've got. Uh, who's got, I think Josh, I think you had something left over. Oh, by the way, happy Valentine's Day, uh, Valentine's Day to, to all the ladies out there, especially my ladies. Um, Josh, that is an awesome diamond ring you bought for Nicole for Valentine's Day. So I hope she really likes that thing. Uh, whole carrot, man. That's, that's, hey, big dog, dude, big dog jumping. I hate you so much. 
Um, <laughs> so last thing I was going to say, two things. Uh, one, again, if you have not, uh, go, go out and read The 100-Year Marathon by uh, Michael, Pils- Michael Pillsbury. Uh, it talks about China's uh, quest for world dominance by 2049, which would be the, the centennial for the, uh, for the Chinese, Communist Revol- Chinese Communist Revolution. Uh, go out and read it. If you, if you go back, you, you know, read that thing and take a look back and everything that's happened. That's their plan. They're literally, they, they, they are not, they, they are telling you what they're going to do. And they're doing it. It's not even it is right on the mark. They're doing it. And people are like, no, it's fine. It's just economic. You know, there are economic partners. No. If you think for a second that they're economic partners and that you think that there's no nefarious intent, I got a bridge to sell you. You're going to love it. It's a great price. Um, and uh, it goes it goes to nowhere. So that to echo Rogers. Happy Valentine's Day. Fellas, get out there. Do something nice for your for your women. Do something nice for your ladies. Ladies, you're not off the hook. Do something nice for your men. All right. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I ain't letting the loose face. <laughs> I ain't letting the women off the hook. Your wife better do something nice for you. Uh, I know you're giving her a uh, you're giving her a vacation back to the uh, back to the Estados Unidos. That's right. So that's you know, right. You, if you're doing that. That's right. So what's she doing for you? That's the question you need to ask. What are you doing for me? And with that, I'll throw it over to Luke. Uh, <laughs> you guys are going to get me in trouble. Yeah, travel start tomorrow, and we'll be doing some uh, – I'll be at different locations, but I will not be in Arizona, nor will I be in North Carolina because I've got better things to do. But, um, yeah, I'll be traveling, and we, I will, we will try to figure out how we're going to do the Chaz. Because don't forget, we're going to have a very special episode probably coming out around the middle, early to mid-March, where I'll be reporting from the Chaz in Seattle. And it's going to be great, and you'll see. You know, it's funny. The funniest part of this episode for me was how Josh pretends like he acts like he can't pronounce the word Pillsbury. (laughs) Come on, man. Yeah, you played that off really well, really well. You know, we jumped around a lot, but I think we covered the topics uh, uh, pretty fairly thoroughly. You know, we do have time constraints, as Roger pointed out to uh, to one of our listeners. We appreciate the the feedback, and uh, you know, call us out if we if we if you, we say something you think is wrong. But remember, we do have time constraints. We can't delve into this stuff and give you all our thoughts. Otherwise, it'd be a long form Joe Rogan six hour type podcast, and nobody wants to listen to us do that. So, we really appreciate all of you uh, listening. Thanks for all the feedback. Thanks for interacting with the page. Everyone's uh, doing a better job at that. Uh, our listeners in India, Slovenia, you know, Slovenia got some catching up to do. I know a population of only 2 million, but you can, you can do it, man. I have faith. I have faith. Thanks for listening. Carlton Zeus, again, appreciate you letting us use your music. Maybe we'll cover Mexico next time. Uh, talk about Tejano and Mexican-Americans and uh, music and stuff like that so you, won't, you, don't, you don't feel left out. Uh, visit him at uh, www.carltonzeus.com or hit him up on iTunes. Thanks again, everybody. Until next time, keep your tan- canteen cups full and tightly secured. <laughs>